Ghost Herd Stories, we tell and write the stories of veterans and first responders for their families and friends. We love storytelling and believe there is nothing more inspiring and nothing that gets people to take action like a great story. Families and friends want to know the sacrifices we made, the services we rendered, and the people we lifted so they can be inspired and learn about the legacy we left. Our podcast is the face of our company, but we want every family who cares to know about the experiences their veteran and or first responder went through for them. We interview veterans and first responders, collect pictures, write their stories, and compile them in a book for their families and friends to enjoy. Oftentimes, it's difficult for us to talk to our loved ones about what we did, saw, and heard while serving. At Ghost Turd Stories, we bridge the gap. For pricing, visit linktr.ee forward slash ghost turd stories and click on the second tab directly under the podcast link called Let Us Write Your Story. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash G-H-O-S-T-T-U-R-D-S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Hello everyone and welcome to Ghost Turd Stories. I'm your host, Troy Gent. Ghost Turd Stories' mission is using humorous stories from veterans and first responders to reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder committed suicide. Ghost Turd Stories' vision is to use humor from veteran and first responder stories to prevent suicide within our ranks and reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder committed suicide. We hoped to attract veterans and first responders as well as those interested in knowing more about what it's like to be in our shoes while we wear or wore those shoes. Welcome to the Ghost Turd Stories podcast. This is Rebecca Gent, the podcast editor and publisher, as well as I'm also Troy's daughter. And I'm excited to have him here tonight so that I can ask him more in-depth questions about his story because I grew up with these stories and you will soon get to hear more of them as the podcast goes on and as he releases his books and his newsletter. So how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. This is uh, interesting being on the other end of this. Uh, (laughs) So it's going to be fun. Yeah. And I was going to say it's kind of a fun time to be doing this podcast because I'll be heading to bed right after this and you used to um, tell us bedtime stories and this is kind of where it all started. So you're going to get a bedtime story in that? Oh yeah, a few, a few. Initially, I wanted to start with why you decided to go into the Marine Corps. Okay, so when I was a junior in high school, uh, I became pretty popular I was I was a bully a lot growing up and my freshman year I was bullied and I moved away from Beaver Utah to St. George Utah to live with my mom because I needed to get out of Beaver I just felt out of place was bullied and I just hated it so when I left to St. George Utah in that year and a half that I spent down here I really 
came out of my shell and I got into some trouble, but it was worth it because I also became, I wouldn't say fearless. Uh, I was still paranoid a lot about getting in trouble, but I was also intentionally doing crazy stuff so I could get noticed and get in trouble. So anyway, I came out of my shell and my dad convinced me to move back to Beaver for my the start of my junior year in high school. And I went from being bullied and a loser as a freshman in Beaver to being the most popular kid within a few weeks in the whole high school, uh, the start of my junior year. And so I had a pretty good football season my junior year for the Beaver High School football team. And then I just had these big high hopes that my senior year was going to be this amazing year and I was going to be able to pick a college and go play football at a college. But in practice, before the first game my senior year, I was a wide receiver and I went did a uh, passing route. And I jumped in the air to catch the football. And one of the defensive backs on my team, he stuck his helmet in the middle of my back when he tackled me. So he hit me really hard. And where his helmet was placed, it caused my neck to whiplash backward really, really hard. And I didn't know it for 16 years, but I fractured three vertebrae in my back when I got hit by that kid. I sat out for three games, and then the the next couple games... Uh, I played on special teams, but that basically ruined my chance of getting a scholarship to play football. And so when I realized that I had lost that chance or those hopes, I started looking around for ideas because I didn't know what I was going to do. I I wasn't going to go play college football and then now I'm not going to play college football, so what the heck am I supposed to do with my life now after high school? And so I had a friend who said, hey, I've got these Marine recruiters that are going to come to my house and talk to me about joining the Marine Corps. And I said, oh, Marines, huh? I'd heard of them, but I was kind of knew a little bit about the Marines. I didn't really know the difference between Marines and soldiers. Were they coming to your house almost like Mormon missionaries? Well, or they went to my fr- friend's house. Yeah. So they were recruiting. So they were trying to sell something. So, yeah. Like a Mormon missionary, except they drop F-bombs and. Uh, In the recruiting meeting? I can't remember if that recruiting meeting, or, but I'm just comparing missionaries to Marines. So they were definitely trying to recruit us, but they uh, didn't approach it necessarily like Mormon missionaries. So I went to the house, me and another buddy so there's three of us there the host and then me and josh so two best friends or three best friends sorry and from the first meeting i was sold i'm like i'm going in the marine corps i just i i knew you mentioned in one of your questions about the recruiting video i think so marines and soldiers and all the services they've got their own recruiting videos and i think i think they might have shown us a recruiting video that night and I thought, I'm going to come out of the water with a machine gun <laughs> and look so cool doing it. <laughs> so that was like this dumb 18-year-old kid. I did at one point come out of the water, the swamps of Okinawa with a machine gun, but it sucked. It was not fun. <laughs> yeah. So 
<laughs> so the the recruiting videos did their job, and then of course the recruiters talked it up like Marines are the best, and everybody wants to be a Marine, but hardly anybody gets to be a Marine. And so I was like, oh, I I can do that. At this point, my broken back, I didn't know it, like I said, for 16 years. It was still bothering me, but I didn't know I had, had a broken back. If I would have told the Marine Corps I had a broken back, there's no way I would have gotten in the Marine Corps. So, Did you ever like compare with the other branches during that time, Like, even consider? Yeah. I'm assuming you did. I, I wouldn't think you would. Here's what happened. It was really funny. So the Marines, the Marine recruiters, uh, Sergeant at the time it was Sergeant Flack was my recruiter. And he became, I think, a master sergeant or a master gunnery sergeant before he retired, I think. But he was all confidence, like, I want you to be a Marine, but if you don't become a Marine, then so what? You're lost kind of a thing, right? At some point during my senior year, it might have been a few months after the the Marine recruiter meeting or something, I met with two Army recruiters in the school library. I don't remember what prompted me to sit down with him it might have been my dad saying maybe you should look around a little bit or whatever ask the army see if it's better that might have been it and so I sat down with two army recruiters in the school library and they were so uptight and so butthurt that I was resisting going in the army that it it just it solidified my decision to go in the Marine Corps. Like, I don't want to be recruited by a bunch of pansies that are acting like babies. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reputation, right? <laughs> yeah. And that had nothing to do with the Army and, it, and everything to do with the recruiters and how they were trying to sell me. So, yeah. I think mom told me once that your recruiter was actually at your wedding. Yeah, he did. He came to my wedding. And I think he was, I think he had moved to recruiting duty up north. And so he came all the way down from Salt Lake to go to my wedding. So it was cool. What were your initial thoughts going into boot camp? Like getting off the bus? What was going through your head? I remember they call it MEPS, um, Military Entry something, something. I forget what it stands for. But they have a MEPS in every major city around the country. And so I went to MEPS in Salt Lake City. So you do it once or twice for evaluations before you go. And then the night, the day before you go to boot camp, in my case anyway, they put you through MEPS again. And then they put you in a hotel uh, that night. Well, actually, we got put in a hotel. And then the next morning we went to MEPS. And then they processed, they swear us in after we're all clear. I remember I packed, all I packed to MEPS was a razor and a little bit of shaving cream so I could shave the morning of MEPS and then my flight to San Diego and my like ID card and my Book of Mormon. And that's it. And I threw my razor away and whatever shaving cream was left, I threw that away because I didn't want anything going with me except my ID and my scriptures. And that was it. I remember being super intimidated. I didn't sleep one wink that night before boot camp and they keep you up the first night all night when you get to boot camp and so I didn't sleep literally didn't sleep one wink for I guess it'd be about 66 six, so 48 and then I went to bed that night so 48 and then add 12 hours so about 60 hours 
Yeah. Because I was too scared. I was I was so intimidated that night before the morning of MEPS and then flying to boot camp. It was interesting, though, because I got to boot camp. I got to the airport in San Diego. We went to the USO to sit there and wait. And then a drill instructor called our names off and our packets to get to the bus. And as soon as it started... It was like I'm ready for this. Like I wasn't, I wasn't scared anymore. It was just all the fear just left. It was so weird. It was like a noticeable, a noticeable disappearance of all fear, and I was just motivated. I remember the first time I got yelled at. I was on the yellow footprints, and they told us to put everything in our hand by our foot, our right foot, and I don't know why I did this, but I put it down and stuck my heel on it, and so. I was the only recruit standing there at the position of attention with my right knee bent because my heel was up on my Book of Mormon. I looked like an idiot. So <laughs> so he comes by. He's like, what are you, some stupid idiot? I was like, oh, I didn't know what to. <laughs> and then he's like, take it out from under your foot and put it on the side, you moron. <laughs> I just said, aye, sir. You've talked a lot about, well, you've talked about a lot of people and told us about a lot of people with like outrageous personalities and like outrageous things they've done. But like boot camp specifically, who was the most outrageous person you met and why? I remember some outrageous stuff happening, a lot of it, but there was a recruit that whined a lot and complained about everything. And one night we all went to bed and the senior drill instructor decided that he was going to punish this kid. And this was, Probably borderline hazing, um, according to the, the current Marine Corps standards at the time. It was it probably would have been classified as hazing. But the senior drill instructor was so pissed off at this guy because he complained all the time about everything that he didn't care. And so we all went to bed, and the lights went off, and then he made this kid with a wet towel so it was a, basically a bear crawl, but it was a push. So he was pushing the wet towel that was spread out over the floor. He was pushing it up and down the squad bay in a bear crawl position. And that, it burns your hamstrings up like crazy, right? It just fries your hamstrings and your butt. And he was, the whole time, he was like, and the senior drill instructor was like, shut up shut up, just kept screaming at him, but he was just, you better push. And he's like, oh, oh. he was just crying the whole time. And so we're all supposed to be sleeping, right? But all you can hear is like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> there was this other, this other kid, and he refused to take a shower. And so the drill instructors weren't, supposed to lay hands on any of us they could get you know a millimeter away with their hands and their face and just and scream at us and threaten us but they weren't allowed to actually touch us so unless you without permission got to within arm's distance then they basically would stiff arm you to say get the hell away from me kind of a thing right so there's this kid he refused to take a shower the drill instructor, was they would scream at him and threaten him, and he just wouldn't take a shower. And this kid stunk so bad. And he just didn't want to be naked with the rest of us, right? So the drill instructors got sick of it, and they're like, they pulled the squad leaders and the guide in. They said, listen, he will not take a shower 
he stinks. They said, take care of it. And so they said, aye, aye, sir. And that night, they took this kid, about four or five of them. He was kicking and screaming the whole way. <laughs> they carried him into the shower, ripped his clothes off. They turned the shower on, and they scrubbed him down with soap. And he never had a problem taking a shower after that. In your book, I was reading that your group was one of the first to go through the crucible. So the crucible was considered a new thing they added to boot camp and can it be considered the, the pinnacle of your transformation from civilian to Marine. It, it was basically two and a half days filled with obstacles. So we got a couple hours of sleep on both nights and then we got two meals total for two and a half days. And it was filled with just physically exerting obstacle courses. So you basically, you had to work as a team to solve the problem, solve the obstacles. And it was in fireman teams, so teams of four. And then at the end, you climb these two really big hills. And at the top, they give you your Eagle Globe and Anchor. And so when a Marine gets his Eagle Globe and Anchor, from his drill instructors, he's considered, or she's considered a Marine after that. We were made fun of because we were the first Marines to get to the fleet that had gone through the Crucible. So our superiors, our team leaders and squad leaders hadn't gone to the Crucible. And they were about anywhere from a year and a half to two years ahead of us as far as seniority goes. So we were pretty much the new recruits that had done the Crucible. And so... They would say, oh, you were up on the crucible hill crying. And so it's hard, kind of hard not to cry when you, you go through that. And then up on top of the hill, they're playing, uh, what's the what's the song? Oh, I'm going to mess this up because I'm not a very good hummer. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to hum this. It's... <laughs> I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. That's what it is. <laughs> they played that song. And you're a Marine now, right? And so you're like, I don't want to cry in front of my drill instructor. So you're trying to hold it back. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't the only one that had a tear come down his cheek, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, you guys are crucible Marines. Oh, you're up there crying because you got your Eagle Globe <laughs> and Anchor, you know? So I don't know. I, I took it well, I think, and just like, okay, all right, Corporal. All right. Were so. you crying because you were emotional, <laughs> like, with the song? Like, you felt the song? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Marine now, and I'm an American, and this is like, I I did this, you know? So, yeah, it was, it was emotional. <clears throat> no, I think that's completely justifiable. Yeah, it's debatable, you know, before they were, before the Crucible, like, oh, well, Crucible Marines versus non-Crucible Marines, and who's better, and who's tougher, and this and that, but... Every generation has their tests, and so I was just—I just happened to be a Crucible Marine. What were your thoughts upon graduating? What was graduating like, and what kinds of things did you do? We marched to our families. We got to mingle with our families for about an hour, hour and a half, maybe or two. And Dad didn't come down, but Mom came down with John her boyfriend and just so everybody knows John is one reason that I started this company is because John was like a second father to me. He was, uh, he drove a gunboat or a, a landing craft in the Korean war 
on the beaches of North Korea. And he saw lots and lots of combat. And uh, I just really admired the guy. And he really was proud of me. And so he drove mom down to the graduation. But he, he would commit suicide in, in 2005. How long was your mom and John together? So they were together off and on for years. Since mom divorced dad, uh, she met John maybe even before the divorce was final. And I don't, they were just friends maybe at the time or whatever, but mom and dad divorced in 1998, I believe. And so between 1998 and 2005, when John took his life, uh, they had been, they were together off and on quite a bit. And so I think mom and John weren't officially boyfriend and girlfriend. They were in an off, an off season together, maybe when he took his own life. And so I think it deeply impacted mom, but it wasn't, they weren't together at the time that he did it, I don't believe. What was your mom's reaction to you graduating? Like, how did she act? So, that's a funny story. <laughs> I wonder if I should tell that one. So mom, I mean, any any good mom's going to be nervous that their child joins the military. And there's this stigma around Marines that, you know, they're first in the fight. and And so... I was joining the Marines and the infantry and mom just had these ideas, you know, that, oh my gosh, my son is joining the Marine Corps infantry. I don't know if I like that or not. So, and, and mom is, is a paranoid person by nature anyway. And so when Saddam Hussein was playing around with us in the no fly zones in 1998, uh, we started a, a pretty big bombing campaign. And so we, our unit actually t was told to pack and get ready to go. Cause we might be going over to Kuwait and, you know, doing something about this. And so we packed. And at some point I called mom just to say hi. And back then I was calling from a landline. We didn't have cell phones and stuff. So she didn't know, really know who was calling. I said, hey, mom, how's it going? And she, all, the first thing she said was, where are you? I wanted to play <laughs> with her. And so I said, I'm in Iraq. And she just, she lost her mind. She com went completely internal, just so worried about me. And so I, I let it go for a few seconds, you know, just kind of chuckling in the back of my uh, throat. And I said, I'm just kidding, mom. And she says, you son of a bitch. So I <laughs> said, you, you realize what you just called yourself, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's been a funny joke ever since, ever since. So have you brought it up? I might have once or twice. I had to bring it up again. Next time I talked to her. Do you think she would remember? I don't know. She remembers Emma's snakes. Um. Yeah. Don't bring your snakes. Like, uh, like she's like, who brings their snakes on vacation with a yeah. on road trips? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone out there does. I don't know. Yeah. But she, she didn't, react super strongly like at graduation oh sorry yeah let's go back to graduation so <laughs> no that night when i we marched as a platoon to our families they were too super excited to see me so it was john had a good hour hour and a half together and then the next day we got about six hours with them to walk around base and just be with them we went to like the px and stuff just with our families there was no we were marines by at this point waiting for graduation and so the next day we graduated, but I don't remember any sort of specific uh, 
emotions she might have had. I don't remember if she cried or nothing. I'm, I know she was really proud. What was the transition like after graduation into, I guess, whatever was next? What was your next role or what sort of training did you do after that? I'm assuming it was infantry school, right? But how much time did you have in between? I rode back to Utah from San Diego in the back of John's van. And I got 10 days of leave. So I spent about half of that in St. George and then half of that in Beaver where dad lived. And so Beaver was where most of my friends were. I spent some time just goofing off with my friends in Beaver. And and then I, I had to get on another flight. I think it was from Salt Lake and flew down to San Diego again. And then they uh, bust us up to Camp Pendleton for the School of Infantry. And how long was that? I think it was five weeks. And what did training look like as an infantryman? Yeah. So in boot camp, there's ways around it. There's always loopholes. But they were supposed to have the lights off for eight hours. And in the School of Infantry, since we're Marines now, there was no... Like, we're going to keep you up all night, all night if, if we want to. Like, there's no... Uh, no protecting you. N- yeah, there's no protecting us because we were, we were recruits anymore. It was So, I remember in the School of Infantry, the worst part about it was them waking us up at 2 and 3 in the morning, and then nothing happened until, like, 7. But we weren't allowed to sleep, but we were supposed to be in our squad bay. And so, we had footlockers. And so we would lay on our foot lockers and they're only, so someone my size, I'm six foot two. And at that time I was over 200 pounds. I think on those foot lockers, half of my back fit on those things. So, well, that's an, that's an exaggeration. So my, if I had my, the back of my head on a foot locker, the other end of the foot locker was probably quarter of the way up my back from my butt. And so you lay on it, but. There's really no rest. So so you weren't allowed to be in your rack. So for, you know, it varied, but for three, four hours, we're just like, what is happening? There's nothing going on. Why are we awake? You know, but every morning was like that. Yeah. Every morning We, we did get three weekends off. So from about Friday at, you know, at night until, uh, Sunday at night on three of those of the five weekends, we got three of those to go out and have lit Liberty. But besides that, I remember it seemed like unless we were in the field every day, it was like, get up, get out of your rack at two or three in the morning. And then you just lay and sit around on your foot locker for three or four hours. It was so awful. I kind of, been trying to get inspiration for some of your content on Instagram and I came across this one guy and one of his reels was um nothing turns a drill drill instructor on more than like a unlocked foot locker does that make sense or does that sound familiar (laughs) (laughs) yep they see an unlocked foot locker they just shred it they'll open it up and just throw things everywhere Obviously, I don't have experience with that, but I thought it was pretty funny, especially just the way he portrayed it. But another thing he was talking about or like he was doing reels about was um, 
like stealing peanut butter packets from the chow hall. Chow hall. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever do that? No, I, I never did that. And I don't remember a recruit in my platoon ever getting in trouble for having contraband food. You get three meals a day and that's it. There's no exceptions to the rule. And they find snacks in your footlocker. They'll just... They'll either decide to just make an example of you or make an example of the whole platoon or just the squad that that kid belongs to or something. Just depends on the mood of the drill instructor. But that's justification to tear the whole squad bay apart. <laughs> peanut butter packet. A peanut butter packet, yeah. Well, you heard Son's story about the guy that came back from Liberty when they were in OCS. And he said, I hope you don't find my co cocaine. <laughs> And he just tore the whole squad bay apart. After getting out of infantry school, what kind of happened after that? And what was your favorite part about being an enlisted Marine? So our main instructor, he was a sergeant. He said, where does everybody want to be stationed? And everybody's like, we want to go to Hawaii, right? This is in the School of Infantry. And he says, well, guess what? You're going to the biggest beach on the planet. And we were like, yeah, we were all excited. We didn't even know what that meant. We just thought that meant Hawaii, right? So he's then he starts laughing. He's like, you're going to 29 Palms, you morons. And so <laughs> we were like, 29 Palms? What's that? We didn't I don't even know what it was, you know? And then so we found out that it was two and a half hours northeast. And we, we all got on a bus. And uh, we got there. You know, we're driving into Yucca Valley and through Palm Springs. I think by the time we got to Palm Springs, we're like, oh, this is gross. And then we get to 29 Palms, you know, and it was like, wow. But the training was phenomenal. So the training-wise, I wouldn't want to be stationed anywhere else. Uh, Liberty-wise, it was, it was the worst place that a Marine could imagine. So, Do you feel like they send a lot of new Marines to 29 Palms? There has to be, because there's, there's units and, uh, you know, West Coast, East Coast. and So, no, it was just the luck of the draw. The the 3rd thir Battalion, 7th Marines needed a, a dump of boots. We just happened to be the ones that drew the card, so. I feel like I've just heard a lot of Marines talk about that place specifically. Well, everybody goes there, and so... The training's so good that every unit in the Marine Corps, at least infantry units, uh, air wing units, track units, every combat MOS uh, will go to 29 Palms because 29 Palms has the best training. The one thing I will say about SOI, I never stood guard duty with a loaded M16 until after I got to the fleet and stuff. There was a, a dump of... Marines that got out of boot camp that had to wait for us to get there. My my dump of boot camp Marines. And so they give them things to do as they're waiting to pick up. And so I didn't have to do it because I got there and then we picked up. But there was a bunch of Marines that had gotten there and had to wait around. So they have you stand guard duty and things. Well, this Marine decided that he he didn't want to be a Marine anymore. He gets to SOI. And they're saying, hey, you got to wait for this other other dump of boot camp graduates to pick up. So they made him stand guard duty with all the other Marines that were with him. And he decided that he was going to shoot himself in the foot 
and say it was an accident. And so he pointed the M16 at his foot, but then he flinched. He missed, but then he did it again. And he shot himself the second time. And they were like, what happened? And he says, that was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, you don't. You don't have accidents twice like that, right? Right back to back. So, <laughs> And this is where you met Jeff, right? Yeah. So he was my squad leader. And it was an instant friendship. Like it was as soon as I met him, we just, there was a, a, an attraction there um, that was like, man, you're my friend. I'm your friend. Cool. Let's do this, you know? He was slightly like, slightly above you, not in rank, but just because he had been gotten there first right well he had gotten there first and he was a rank above me i got promoted to e2 the day i got to boot camp because i was an eagle scout and he got i don't know what he was promoted to e2 when he first got there for but he he became the company honor guide and so he got promoted a second time in boot camp so he left boot camp as a lance corporal when most people leave boot camp either as a private or a private first class so he was squared away anyway. And so when he got to School of Infantry, he was a rank above everybody else already. And so when that happens, they automatically just say, okay, you're going to be a squad leader. I mean, if he fails, then you know, they'll make someone else a squad leader. But right when he got there, they knew that he was the company honor guide for boot camp and his company. And so they just automatically made him uh, one of our leaders at the School of Infantry. So... Every night they make a firewatch list. In the Marine Corps, there's always buddy teams, so two people on firewatch at all times. And it's more like a guard duty. I mean, they're watching for fires, but they just call it firewatch. But basically, it's just someone's awake so that someone has eyes on any threats that might happen while everybody else is sleeping. Or in the Marine Corps, we always we're always watching each other's backs that way. So I looked at the list before I went to bed. I was not on the list. And it was Jeff's responsibility to make up the list. I don't feel like he showed me any favoritism. You know, when someone works hard, there's privileges involved, you know. So you, you attract what you sow. And I think that that was such a hard worker that Jeff, my last name being Jen, it should have been on that night's Firewatch. It went through the list alphabetically, but then it skipped me. So I'm like, okay, I, I didn't do that, but that's just the way it was that night. And I'm like, Oh, I don't got firewatch. So I just didn't give it a second thought. And so I don't know at midnight or something, someone shakes me awake and they say, Hey, Hey, gent, wake up. You got firewatch. And I said, what are you talking about? I checked the list before I went to bed. They're like, no, your name's on it. And so I get up and I shine the flashlight on it. And the kid that erased his name, put my name in there. And so this kid actually became my roommate in the fleet. And when I saw him, when I went in my room in the fleet, when I first got there, I thought I had been rid of, rid of him. And so I walked in my room in the fleet and I saw him in there. I'm like, oh, no. Like I did not, him and I did not get along in SOI, but we actually became friends. So no, uh, no negative feelings towards him. But he did scratch out my name or uh, scratched out his name and put my name on there instead. Was it because... Yours was supposed to be there alphabetically, or? He was going to have Firewatch anyway, even if I was on there, because him and I, our names were right next to each other alphabetically. But he saw an opportunity, like, well, Jen's not on there, and I don't have to make any other typos, so or I don't have to make any other fudges. 
all I have to do is scratch or erase my name and put Jens on there because my name wasn't my name was the one that was missing. And so he did it before he went to bed, and I got woken up instead. And then I was like, "Man, that's messed up, dude." So I went and I woke Jeff up. I was like, "Hey, Holt." I won't say his name, but I said he scratched out, he erased his name and put my name in there instead. So Jeff gets up and he verifies it. He looks at the firewatch list and it's still dark in the squad bay. We're using flashlights. He sees it and he can see that I'm telling the truth. And he's like, he's like, that son of a bitch. And he goes and he just overturns this kid's rack and starts screaming at him in the middle of the night, forces him to get up and stand firewatch. And, uh, I went back to bed. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my favorite story about, about Jeff, SOI. I've been using Isogenics since 2017. These products have made a world of difference in my quality of life, health, energy, muscle definition, strength, and endurance. My bread and butter products have been the daily essential multivitamins with Isogenesis which is a telomere support supplement, the Isolane meal replacement shake, the Tri-Release protein shake, the collagen, the green drink, and the Cleanse for Life support system. However, Isogenics has many products and can cater to your unique lifestyle and goals. Click the link in the show notes or visit nmp.isogenics.com. That's nmp.isagenix.com to find out more. Besides just using the products, there is an option to partner with me and the company to build your own business with no capital up front. You can do as little as pay for your products and as much as making a full-time income. I love these products and will use them the rest of my life. You can also message me if you have any questions. The great thing about Marine Corps is is blacks, whites, Mexicans, Indians, I don't care who it is. And the Marine Corps puts us all in one spot and we're forced to get along, we're forced to become friends, and uh, you don't care anymore what the person looks like. You just care about you know, they're, them pulling their weight and you guys just work together as a team. So I've seen a lot of black Marines, a lot of Latino Marines and white Marines. How often would you come across an Indian Marine? Like you just said, I think I saw a couple of them. I think the most out of place Marine that I, I experienced was a Korean Marine who joined the, the U S Marine Corps. So he could get citizenship in the U S he was, uh, had been in the Korean Marine Corps and decided I want to be an American. And so he came and joined the U S Marine Corps and he was a subordinate of mine. Actually, I was a corporal and his squad leader, but he'd tell us crazy stories. He said, yeah, in the Korean Marine Corps, they make us, they make us stand on our head with no <laughs> hands, you know, for, I wouldn't say hours at a time, but that's probably impossible. But that's one of their punishments. Stand on your head. His head looked like he had been standing on his head for hours at a time. Like it was, it was so warped and out of place. I was like, that is the weirdest looking head I've ever seen in my life. But <laughs> so he had gone through training 
in the Korean military, but joined the U.S. military? Yeah. So some things, you know, he said some things are harder. Some things aren't as hard as the Korean Marine Corps. So, Was there ever a time where you had requested a certain location and then were disappointed? disappointed when you got um assigned to another base well once we were in 29 palms i mean that was that was the lowest of the low so couldn't get any worse than that so if you subtract deployments and stuff training i spent about five years of my eight years in the marine corps in 29 palms so the the one thing i didn't like about Quantico and Okinawa and Thailand and Tinian and Guam was the humidity. And so 29 Palms was hot, but you dry off so quick after you sweat. I've always had prickly heat problems like crazy. And so I get in humidity, especially with all that gear on and stuff. I mean, my chest breaks out in a rash, my back. It's just really uncomfortable, you know. I didn't like the training as much in those places being wet is miserable being wet and cold is even more miserable it's interesting sometimes i'll be out in the rain and get a little cold in in civilian life now whether i'm you know hiking or doing something with the family and we get wet or whatever and you get a little cold and i just think in about half an hour i'll be home and change my clothes and i'll be happy in the marine corps you get wet and you think uh, it's gonna be like this for it's gonna be like this for another week? Oh man, yeah, I hated that. Was it like that in Okinawa too? Yeah, yeah, it was really wet in Okinawa. And I've never heard a lot about those two deployments. I guess I just I don't know. I never really asked, or I yeah, generally I just never heard too much about them. Um, could you? I don't know, expand upon your experiences there and what you were doing there, what what your responsibilities were, interactions with the locals and that kind of thing. Sure. So the only interaction I had with the locals was those that worked on base and only, only a couple of them, uh, nothing significant. We were pretty much told to keep to ourselves, even on Liberty, don't go out and, you know, respect, go out and respect the population. If you're out in town, just... Uh, respect those around you and things. Don't be stupid. I guess the Japanese culture is pretty pretty respectful as a whole is what I've heard. It isn't like Thailand where you go out and you have a crazy time. Like It sounds like it's pretty chill. There's probably places on mainland Japan that you have your districts or whatever that, that military personnel know they can go and have a wild time. But there was nothing that I had ever heard of about that. In Okinawa, I did never hear of any of that. Like, it seemed like they were pretty, a pretty disciplined people overall. I never heard any stories or places that Marines went that it was just really ruckus. Or Is that the right word? Ruckus? Ruckus? Anyway. But, like, in Thailand, some of the places in Thailand we'd, we uh, visited was party central right just whatever you want whenever you want it you can get it i got drunk in thailand one night it was funny i was already really drunk and we were on our way back to our hotel we were on a bot bus they call them me and me and my buddy 
The one that I didn't like in SOI, but we became roommates and good friends. We got out of the bot bus. We're like, they dropped us off on the wrong location. We're both drunk, right? And like, that's messed up. And then I said, dude, let's buy some more alcohol. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, okay. And I said, how many more do you think we can handle? And he goes, I don't know. I says, there was these 32-ounce beers that I was looking at in the shop, right? I'm like, I can drink eight more of those. And so <laughs> so we bought eight 32-ounce beers, and we were already drunk. Like, we were so drunk, we didn't know that our hotel was behind us. So we got dropped off in the right in the right location, but we were so drunk. We're like, they dropped us off in the wrong location. But the, So we bought the beers because we thought we were lost, but then we turned around, and our hotel was right there. So... The funny thing is, is I drank one of those and then I, I passed out, right? I was gone. When I woke up the next morning, there was only one left. I was like, how in the heck is there only one of those left? I couldn't believe it. Either your friend threw him out the window or he drank him. Well, there was, there was four of us in the room. And so, but the other two weren't really, they had been drinking a little bit, but they weren't, they were still able to function. Yeah, I barfed two times that night. I crawled, basically crawled to the toilet and was losing my guts. But that's the only, I only drank twice in the Marine Corps. My whole, in eight years, I only drank twice. And that was one of them. I liked what Curtis said on his interview. Um, I was like, yeah, you saved a lot of money, dude. <laughs> Thousands of dollars, he said. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Okinawa, I guess one of the things I heard was that you spent a lot of time on a fishing charter, like on your actual liberty. So that was that was once, and that was in Guam. Yeah, we the last day we were in Guam, we decided that we wanted to rent a fishing charter and go out on the ocean. And, and so I got five or six of us that split the cost. It, the water was gorgeous. The weather was beautiful. It was the most beautiful day on the water. And Guam water is, you've seen Kailua Kona water in Hawaii. It's its like that. It's just gorgeous, right? But the waves that day were insane. Like we're looking at six, eight, ten-foot swells. And so the whole time for about eight hours, we were just up and down and up and down. And we caught a ton of fish. But most of them were yellowfin tuna, but... Everybody was laying on the floor of the boat because everybody was so sick. I mean, I didn't throw up, but I was sick the whole time. And then everybody else, I think Chris Coates was the only one. For some reason, I can remember him not throwing up. We were all really sick. The captain was laughing at us the whole time. I mean, this guy did this every day, you know. And so he was like, oh, you guys love it. And then it was... People are barfing over the side constantly. It was just, it was a really fun but really miserable day at the same time. Well, I have a lot more questions, but maybe we should do a part two to this. We can cover the second half of your active duty. More the officer stuff? Yeah. Let me think of a couple more stories here. Well, let me think of one more about Okinawa since you're asking. So that was pretty much what I just talked about the first deployment. So the second deployment to Okinawa, I was assigned a FAP. They call it FAP, Fleet Assistance Program. 
basically they outsourced me to do something different than what infantry Marines do. And so I was actually assigned as the non-commissioned officer in charge of battalion duty drivers. And so there was five of us and we all took turns being on 24 hour shifts to be on call to either drive the battalion commander around where he needed to go or to uh, run any errands that the battalion command needed. And so besides the weekend, so five days a week, we were all worked during the day. And then there was one person on a 24 hour shift each day. So we all, we did, we were on a five day rotation, basically the craziest call that one of my guys got, I didn't get this call, but they got a call that there was a naked Marine walking around base on like a Saturday night or something buck naked. Right. Yeah. They, they get him out of his room and say, Hey, we got to go find this, this naked Marine or they didn't, I guess they didn't know he was a Marine. They figured he was a Marine cause he was white. He wasn't Japanese. So he was, he was walking around the base, butt naked and they found him. He was just kind of sitting, sitting on the side of the road in front of the headquarters battalion or something for camp Schwab. He didn't have any idea on him or anything. I don't know. I guess he was still sleepwalking. They couldn't ask him questions. I don't know why they just didn't shake him awake or anything. But they started calling around the different duties and uh, saying, hey, do you guys have a sleepwalker? And they finally called the recon, the recon battalion that was there on Camp Schwab. And they said, hey, do you have a sleepwalking Marine? And like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. And they're like, yeah, we found him. He's, he's buck naked. They're like, yeah, he likes to sleep naked. So he's probably, he probably decided that he needed to get up and sleepwalk buck naked around the base. So my driver said it was so funny because they're like, okay, grab him. And so he had to grab him and kind of manhandle him being buck naked and put him up in a Humvee. I guess at that point, you guys are all close and everything. It's probably not as embarrassing as if. I don't know, you guys had just shown up and that was in boot camp or something. Yeah, all kinds of weird stuff went on in the Marine Corps. It's just stuff in the barracks. I mean, stuff that went on in the barracks was out of control. It was like a wild college dorm party every weekend, but with people that had a little bit of discipline in their bodies, you know? Unless they got a whole bunch of alcohol in them and then all discipline kind of went they out the window. Went away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we'll uh, we'll do a, a number two on uh, the officer years. So. Sounds good to me. I'll look forward to it. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and family so that we can bring more joy and awareness to those struggling with suicide ideation and the families who desperately need help after the loss of someone they love to suicide.